Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Please stand for the call to worship. And hear these words of the psalmist. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above in the heavens. When we look at your heavens and the work of your fingers, who are we that you are mindful of us, that you care for us? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let us worship God.
And Jesus calls to us, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And with those words in our ears, let us confess our sins to God. Let us pray. O God, when we sense who you are, we know our own sin. In our murmuring and fault-finding, we have forgotten your mercy. With hardened hearts, we have ignored your needy children. We have chosen to live in desert places rather than asking for a drink of living water. We have hoarded your blessings and forgotten they are for us to share. Our wealth has impoverished us, and our certainties have made us brittle. We are perishing. Please save us from ourselves. We pray through Christ. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, the good shepherd who came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the good shepherd. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. be seated and when the children come down front. Hey, if you guys would join me on this side today, we're going to change it up a little bit. Thank you. Come on down. Hey, how many of y'all are in sports? Hockey, baseball, soccer, Baseball, a lot of boss baseball, I know. What if I were hot and tired? 
<sighs> what do you think I should get to drink after our long, hot game? Water. You sure? Because I've heard these advertisements about these sports drinks and, and this red sugary drink and all this cool stuff that says that they are fabulous and they can quench your thirst and they're wonderful. Have y'all ever heard those commercials? No? It makes me want to run out and buy some of them. You know, well, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, a long time ago, Jesus was walking through a town called Samaria, and it was the middle of the day, and he was hot, and he was tired, and he sat down by a well. And this woman came by, and he said, hey, can I get a drink of water? And she said, uh, you, you must not know me, because see, if you knew me, you wouldn't be asking me that question. Because this woman had some problems in her town. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter. And she gave him a drink. And he said, do you get thirsty? And she said, well, yes, that's why I'm here. And he said, I could give you living water. I could give you water that would make you so you were never thirsty again. How many of you would like to have that? Yeah. I don't think the sports drinks would do that, would they? No. And in fact, I even brought this water today. It's called smart water. I don't even think the smart water would do it, would it? No, Jesus was talking about himself. If she started believing in him, he could be that living water. So her soul would never be thirsty again, right? And that's what we really want out of our lives, for our souls to never be thirsty again, right? Well, let's pray before heading up to Children's Church. In three, two, one. Dear God, you have given us Jesus, the living water, May we drink of that living water so we will never thirst again. And all God's children say, Amen. Okay, we're going to go out. How noisy can I leave this room? Some things never change. I want to take a moment to say I'm glad to be back here. Uh, some of you may know that last Sunday I was the guest preacher for First Presbyterian Church in Thomasville. Their pastor was having corrective eye surgery, uh, more complicated than Lasix, and so it was going to keep him out for several days. So the opportunity to uh, serve a, a sister church uh, in our presbytery and had a great time with the folks there, uh, met a classmate of my mother's from Queens College. So had a bit of a well, old home week uh, there, and hard to believe, but coming back, I actually ran into air conditioning in my car, <laughs> coming back up the road uh, yesterday, uh, last week, Sunday afternoon, and of course last night we had a fire in our fireplace. But it's good to be back with you all. Let us continue our worship. Let us pray. Gracious God, your grace is sufficient, and we pray for your grace to open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds as your word is read and preached today. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite those who are able to please stand for our first lesson. It comes from the Exodus in chapter 17. And listen now to the word of God. 
From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. I was so anxious to get to it, I almost jumped up right in the middle of the anthem. It's like those uh, concerts that you go to and they come to the end of a movement and you start, you're the only one who starts clapping. That's why I never clap until everybody in the whole place is clapping. Okay. Now it's time for the second lesson. It comes to us from the Gospel of John in the fourth chapter. I'm reading from the the Living Bible translation. So it may sound a little different. Hopefully to get the plain sense of the text out to us today. Listen to God's Word. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way to the province of Galilee. And around noon as he approached the village of Sychar, he came to Jacob's well... Located on the parcel of ground Jacob gave to his son Joseph, Jesus was tired from the long walk in the hot sun and sat wearily beside the well. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus asked her for a drink. He was alone at the time as his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised that a Jew would ask a despised Samaritan for anything. Usually they wouldn't even speak to them. And she remarked about this to Jesus. Jesus replied, If you only knew what a wonderful gift God has for you and who I am, you would ask me for some living water. But you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a very deep well. Where would you get this living water? And besides, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob? How can you offer better water than this which he and his sons and cattle enjoyed? Jesus replied that people soon became thirsty again after drinking this water. But the water I give them, he said, becomes a perpetual spring within them, watering them forever with eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me some of that water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to make this long trip out here every day. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. But I'm not married, the woman replied. All too true, Jesus said. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. But say, tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, the time is coming, ma'am, when we will no longer be concerned about whether to worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. For it's not where we worship that counts. But how we worship is our spiritual worship is our worship spiritual and real. Do we have the Holy Spirit's help? For God is spirit, and we must have His help to worship as we should. The Father wants this kind of worship from us. But you Samaritans know so little about Him, worshiping blindly, while the Jews know all about Him. For salvation comes to the world through the Jews. The woman said, "Well, at least I know that the Messiah will come, the one they will call Christ." And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples arrived. They were surprised to find him talking to a woman, but none of them asked why or what they had been discussing. And then the woman left her water pot beside the well and went back to the village and told everyone, Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And then skipping down to verse 39, it concludes this way. 
Many from the Samaritan village believed he was the Messiah because of the woman's report. He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him at the well, they begged him to stay in their village, and he did for two days, long enough for many of them to believe in him after hearing him. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe because we have heard him ourselves, not just because of what you told us. He is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So today is the third Sunday in our Lenten series entitled Simple Jesus. And each week we are taking a simple look at the simple and profound truth of who Jesus is as Son of God and Savior. Simply Jesus. Just taking a look at Jesus. This reminds me of an old story of the Sunday school teacher who started out her lesson asking the children this question, what is gray or brown and furry and lives in trees and collects nuts and has a big bushy tail? And there was silence in the class and the children kind of looked nervously at one another until one little boy was brave enough to raise his hand and the teacher called on him and said, yes, what is the answer? And the little boy said, Well, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds a whole lot like a squirrel to me. The answer is Jesus. We're looking at the life of Jesus as we walk through the Gospel of John and these encounters that Jesus has with individuals where Jesus challenges, where Jesus encourages, where Jesus teaches, where Jesus opens up a life that is larger than they could have ever dreamed possible. And they are transformed. My hope and my prayer is that we will know the Scripture better as we walk more deliberately through this one Gospel in this season of Lent and that we would thereby more fully know Jesus. Will you pray with me, please? Our world and our lives are full of questions that sometimes seem to have no answers. Questions that sometimes confuse us, frustrate us, make us doubt, or even sometimes ready to give up. But loving God, today we come seeking, yes, some answers. We bring you our questions. But more deeply and truly, we come to you today seeking you, holy God, in your perfect revelation in Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us what you would have us know about who you are. Amen. So Jesus and the Samaritan woman, it's important that we know that she's a woman, she doesn't have a name, and that she is a Samaritan. And here in this encounter that Jesus has with her, we need to also understand that Jesus is on a trip. He's been in Jerusalem, he encountered Nicodemus last week in the third chapter in John, and now we have Jesus moving back to northern Israel, to the area uh, around the Sea of Galilee. 
and he passes through Samaria to, uh, to make this trek. And he stops in a town called Sychar. And this is a Samaritan town, obviously. And what we need to know as well is what is going on between Jews and Samaritans. Well, what we do know is they have a common ancestry. They both hearken back to the patriarchs of the faith, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob and Joseph. But what we also need to know is while they share this common ancestry is that they are not on each other's Christmas card list. They don't get along. There's a long history of bitterness and disagreement between them. Samaritans, we need to know, also believe and read the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. As I said, they, they claim this common heritage back to the patriarchs, and they also claim their ancestry, as the Jews do, back to Moses as well. But the history of the conflict that exists between Samaritans and Jews and why they do not like one another goes back, we have to look to 722 B.C., at that particular point in history, the, the Persians or the Assyrians were conquering all of the known world at that time and into this region. And their conquests uh, claimed lands all the way down just north of Jerusalem. And the Persians came with their uh, armies. They came with their leaders. They brought leaders from different parts of the world and placed them in positions of authority. They had their armies occupying and, and so the, the Jews in Samaria were captors in their own land. It's an occupying army. And the Samaritans in this circumstance, they began over centuries intermarrying with the Persians, having children with them, and even adopting some of their worship practices they became deluded. They were not the pure ones of the Jewish lineage anymore. They sold out. They became unclean. And those Orthodox Jews wrote them off. 700 years of bitterness and conflict between Jews and Samaritans because of what had transpired over this period of time. And the, the Samaritans adopted their, their own practices of worship in a sense and they created a, a, a place of worship in Samaria on the top of Mount Gerizim and they said, this is the true place of worship. This is where God resides on the top of Mount Gerizim. And the Jews, of course, in Jerusalem said, no, the center of worship is at the temple in Jerusalem. This is where God resides. And so that conflict went on. But in 128 B.C., we know that the Jews from Jerusalem, from the southern kingdom of Judah, sent troops, temple guards up, and they, they wiped out the, uh, the, the, the Samaritans at Mount Gerizim and destroyed their place of worship in 128 B.C. But we can also fast forward in history to the time of the Romans beyond the life of Christ, we know the Romans also destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. So that debate became a little bit changed or mute at that point. But, but in 128 B.C., the, the Jews wipe out the Samaritans' place of worship at Mount Gerizim. And so this history of conflict 
uh, of bitterness but between these two factions is very heated and exists in the time of Jesus. And Jesus walked right into the middle of this conflict. He did what no rabbi of the day would do. He saw a woman as a person rather than a label. He walked through that barrier, the barrier of gender. A man approaching a woman who was viewed as a piece of property. Jesus also walked through the barrier of one who was unclean as a Samaritan woman. Seemingly, he knew nothing of her background and her status, which was even worse for him to engage her, to converse with her. So Jesus has not only walked through these barriers of gender, of race, of place, but he has crossed the line and set up camp on the other side, it seems. If we pause here, we ask ourselves the question, if we are following Jesus Christ, how is it that we find ourselves walking in the world? Because we know that we live in culture that has set up all kinds of barriers around us, and we have put walls around ourselves to keep ourselves safe and identified within acceptable norms. And we have set up education level, economic status, race, language, all of these walls in our society. But as we, as Christians, we are called in following Jesus Christ who walked through barriers and broke down walls to be ones who do the same. How are we walking in this world as those who follow Jesus Christ? As Christians who claim no national loyalties, no barriers between us, because if Jesus taught us anything, it's that we are all God's children in that sense. We ask, how are we following the great command, the commission of Jesus Christ Himself, who in all of the Gospels commissions His disciples to go, in Matthew to go into all the world preaching, teaching, baptizing, in Luke to go into all the world, starting in Jerusalem, into Judea, to Samaria, and beyond all the known world take the gospel with you and in the gospel of John the the great commission could be said to be from the lips of Jesus himself when he said as I have been sent so I am sending you and so it is important for us to understand as a as a as a distinction as a follower of Jesus Christ with that we are those who are sent into the world and Jesus says go get out of here Go beyond these walls and break down barriers as you carry my name to the world. I'm sending you. How are we as a church and as individuals doing as we follow this command of Jesus Christ himself and follow in his footsteps? This is not our role as a church alone, but as individuals. Because we as individuals are sent into places in this world literally into the world where we take the name of Jesus Christ with us. And as we go, as individuals, we go also as the body of Christ. We are those who are sent on a mission to see what it is, to find what it is, what God is doing in the world, and join God in that work. 
And here we follow Jesus to this encounter with this woman at the well. And this is the very stuff that got Jesus killed. And we need to understand that as well. Jesus walked through these walls that people had set up around them. But we are called to do the same. Disciples of Jesus Christ sent out into the world on a mission. And this will make us uncomfortable. But that's okay. Because the more, com- un- the more comfortable I feel behind these walls, physical, or behind the walls that I set up in my life, the more discomforted I need to feel at a deeper level in my life when I'm honest with myself. When we follow Jesus Christ into the world and adopt His mission to go, to do, to serve, and to love, it means that other people may catch a glimpse of Jesus Christ Himself in us, in our life, in our walk. And they may be attracted. Because there's nothing more attractive than an authentic person. There's, nothing, there's no one more attractive than Jesus Christ Himself. And if we are living like Jesus, we too will attract others who may come who may come then to our church and that we would find ourselves more diverse. That we would find ourselves growing. And that people will tell other people about what they've encountered here and want to be part of it. So all things that happen when we follow Jesus Christ. It's important for us to understand what Jesus is doing and what He calls us to do. You know, the truth of the matter is, in, 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 in many settings, when someone who was orthodox may have been reading this particular text that we're looking at today, when they come to this part where Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman who is outside of the norm, they would throw up their hands and say, Blasphemy! That's it! And they would just toss the book away. It's just stark as dramatic as this encounter is. Yet this picture that John gives us uh, is, is, is one of God who loves all people. And this is God's Son, Jesus, whom we are called to love and serve and to live like Him in the world. And in this encounter that Jesus has with this woman, they talk about this idea of water. And of course, Jesus is talking on one level and the Samaritan woman is talking on another level. He says, give me a drink. She says, what are you doing asking me for a drink of water? But Jesus says, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked me for water. It was living water of which you would drink and you would never be thirsty again. As a matter of fact, it would become welling up in you like a gushing spring, a flowing fountain. You would be satisfied eternally with that water. And then in this conversation that the two of them have here at this point, at verse 16, there is this, there is this break that seems to happen. Because they're talking about this living water on two levels, and the woman is, is seemingly saying here, I have no idea what this connection is between this living water that you are talking with me about. Because Jesus then says to her, Where's your husband? Where's your husband? 
And what happens from this point forward in, in the text is this woman then engages in a conversation with Jesus that leads her to the point that she understands Him to be the Messiah. And what is it that happens from this conversation about living water to her as one who goes and tells others that she has met the Messiah? This woman finds one in Jesus Christ who knows her story. Even though she is given no name, Jesus knows who she is. And He, in essence, says to her, by saying, go get your husband, He is saying to her, I know you. I know who you are. I know your story. And I care. I know you've had five husbands. And I know the man that you are now living with is not your husband. And I know that you really do not have other relationships in your life. Why else would you be here at midday at the well and not coming in the afternoon when other women come to draw water? I know you. Sometimes we think that God knows all about what's going on in the world except for what's going on in our lives. Or for some of us, the thought that God knows what is going on in our lives and knows us better than we know ourselves is a rather frightening thought. That God knows how many hairs are upon our head. That God knows what we do in public and what we do in secret. That God knows how late we stayed up last night. Or how many hours we spend on the computer. The choices that we make. But the beauty of this God who knows us so well is that God accepts us fully in all of who we are. And we see this as Jesus encounters this woman and does not reject her, but moves toward her. And then the story zigzags again in a fashion where the woman now changes the subject matter. And she says, okay, if you know about me and I see that you are a prophet, then let's have a religious conversation. Let's go to a safe place. Let's have a theological debate. And if you are a prophet, then tell me what is right. What is the right center of worship? Where is the place that God truly dwells? And so she asked Jesus to solve there on the spot this 700-year debate between the Samaritans and the Jews. And the way that Jesus answers her question about the true center of worship is this. Jesus says it is not a location. The true center of, of worship is not a location. It is not in a temple. It is not in a building. It's not in an institution. It is not in a given place. What you seek you will only find in a person, in a relationship. And then Jesus says to her, I'm your guy. He totally redefines not only the religious understanding between the Jews and the Samaritans or or religion in the world, but He reconfigures the understanding of the world itself itself. 
the difference in relating to a person over and above an institution, a religion, a church, a set of laws, a denomination. Jesus is saying that it is all found in a person. And I am that one. In this question that Jesus asked the woman, the, the, the first question, seemingly random question that Jesus asked her, do you want living water? And she says, yes, I want living water. And he, Jesus says, where is your husband? Jesus already knows the answer to this question. And Jesus goes by saying, where is your husband? He goes to that most personal, that most intimate, that most penetrating and embarrassing question that he could have asked her. Let me probe into that place in your life where you harbor your greatest shame. And Jesus is asking, are you going to look at me and tell me the truth? The truth that I already know? And this is the turning point of this encounter with Jesus. And follow me here because it really goes back to Genesis for all of us. Because we know that in the garden that God created for Adam and Eve, God said, there are two trees of which you will not eat. The tree of everlasting life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that they were tempted by Satan. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And upon sinning, they, they, what happens? Upon realizing their sin, they immediately realize that they are what? Naked and they are ashamed. And what do they do? They start fashioning clothes for themselves to hide from each other. And then the next thing that they do is that God comes looking for Adam and for Eve, His crowning piece of creation. In the cool of the evening, God is walking in the garden and He is looking for Adam and Eve. Where are you? He knows where they are. And what are they doing? They are hiding from God. And our sin causes us to hide from each other and to hide from God. And what Jesus is saying to this woman is, you cannot hide from me. And will you be honest with me? Will you tell me the truth that I already know? And the beauty of this passage here and this encounter with Jesus is that the, the, the Samaritan woman does not repeat the sin of Genesis. She gives Jesus the straight answer. It was the reason that she was at the well at midday. The time to draw water with, with her other women friends was in the afternoon, but here she is alone, apart, cut off, hiding, ashamed, no relationships. But Jesus, hearing her answer when she says, I have no husband, and he says, you are correct. Jesus is not, does not say to her, I knew that about you. And I will not be in relationship with you because you are a bad person. No, Jesus then explains the significance of his personhood and a relationship with him. But because we cannot be in relationship with God or with one another without honesty. And Jesus is saying, I already know who you are and what you have done. Can you say that out loud to me? Can you confess your brokenness to me? 
Can you tell me about the places in your life that are hurt and hurting, that are rough and jagged? For in your honesty and relationship with me comes healing and wholeness and life. Because outside of that honesty, there is no relationship, there is no life. And Jesus wants us, and what John is telling us in this encounter is that it's not all about following the rules. It's not about staying safe behind barriers and walls and definitions, but it's about submitting and surrendering and following a Savior who redeems. And it's a scary thing, to be honest, with ourselves, with another, and with God. But in this encounter, something happens with this woman. She, she goes and she tells others about what has happened. She runs back to the village and she says, I met a man who knows everything that I have ever done. And he still wants to be in relationship with me. And he offered me living water. And she, in her own life, turns into a fountain. You can almost see it happening to her. She releases. She is free. There is liberation. And she calls others to that same relationship in Jesus Christ. She says to him, you know everything. When we are able to be in that kind of relationship with God and with one another, it changes us and we experience liberation and life like we have never known before. That's why it's so important for us as a church in the context of our relationships in this community is to find that safe place where the barriers are gone and we can be who we are with one another. And we can say, I have a parent who has Alzheimer's. And it is, it is hurting in my family and, and we don't know what to do about it. Or, or my sister has committed suicide and my heart is broken. Or I am having difficulty in my job or my family. And it doesn't mean that we go around and bear all of our dirty laundry to each other. But, but, but that we find those relationships where we can be real with one another and be free. And know that we are accepted and loved. And that's why it's so important in the context of the church that we find those places so that life on life, we know life and share life. And when we live in such a manner that we are free to be able to do that and, and walk through barriers and be ourselves with one another, our lives start looking and sounding a lot like Jesus and it becomes more attractive to other people. And we begin to experience life in a way that we may have never known before. Now, relationship with Jesus Christ, we understand that we can be honest with ourselves, honest with God and honest with each other without carrying on the tradition of Adam and Eve and hiding from other people behind a job, a title, a, a facade. Because what we find in Jesus Christ is freedom. What we find in Jesus Christ is courage to be a true-faced person.
person. I want that in my life. I want more of that in my life, to be a true-faced person, and thereby be able to share what it is that I'm experiencing that Jesus Christ is doing with me. And I'm confessing to you right now, even as a Presbyterian pastor, it is hard sometimes to share honestly Jesus Christ. But as we are honest with ourselves and with God, we can be more honest with each other. And is it hard? Yes. But it's what Jesus desires for us in, in a relationship with Him. And it's what Jesus Christ Himself gives to us. That which is life in Him, now and forever, rich and full. To God be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Let us stand and say what it is we believe using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lenten season is a journey toward the crucifixion and toward Easter. And on this journey, we all carry our burdens. During this time of Lent, let us lift those burdens to our Lord. Let us pray. We come before you, O Lord, in this holy season of Lent, knowing that you have called your disciples to go forward with you on the way to the cross. Come close, O Lord, and hear our prayers for the world, the church, and your people. You walked in hunger, Lord, and we pray for the people of our world whose bellies are not filled this day, for, for communities struggling to dig for clean, fresh water. We pray for those who hunger for an end to bombs and conflict and hatred. Bring near the day when the hungry will be satisfied. We pray for your people who are gathered here. Inspire our mission life, strengthen our relationships, and make us all ready to forgive and to be forgiven. You walked alone, O Lord. Be close to all those who live primarily in the context of loneliness, the loneliness of illness and fear, of suffering and rejection. Stay beside all those who are near death, and let us hear again the promise that nothing in all creation can separate us from your love in Christ. And in his name and his words we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 
I can welcome those of you who are worshiping with us this morning, either here in the sanctuary at Spring Harbor or via television. For you in the sanctuary, I invite you to sign the friendship pads that are located at the end of your aisles and pass those along to those seated next to you. And while we do that, I'd like to highlight just a few announcements. Today, following the worship service, we do have our annual congregational meeting that will be here in the sanctuaries. Also, we continue with our Wednesday night suppers during Lent on Wednesday evenings. Supper begins at 5.30 with a program that begins about 6.20. There's a program for all different ages. This week is a big FX family experience event in the, in the gym. And there'll be other teaching opportunities as well. I'd like to draw your attention to the Church Family Day in the Country, which is on March 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. It's a wonderful event that we have every year, and there'll be an Easter egg hunt for the little kids that year, too, uh, at this event, so we invite you to be part of that. And at this time, I'd like to invite Janice Biggers up to give us a word about our Global Mission Conference offering. I don't think we could have had a better world mission sermon than we had today. If we don't understand it now, nothing I could say possibly would help. But I did want to talk to you a minute about, I think some of us sometimes feel closer to local missions. We can see the need. We can see the need in our church. We can see the people who come and need the SAC lunch program. And sometimes we get so close to that, we forget the global missions program. At the risk of being crass and mentioning money, our goal is $42,000. This is above the budget. There is no budgetary money for global missions. If we do not meet this goal, then the partners we've had in the global world will not get the contributions they've counted on. I want to put a face on some of the global mission recipients because we know the local ones. I hope you know Misha. He's been here to our church. The people in Russia, we are way off. We know what the need is there. We have a face on those. We have a face on Bernard Andiak and the people at his school. We know what they look like. We've seen their pictures. He's come to us. We understand about the Bible Training Center for Pastors in Kenya. That program has a partnership that 384 people have gone through that training program. It's a one-year program, like an abbreviated seminar program, seminary program for pastors. They've had 124 people graduate from that program. That means they are 124 trained pastors in Kenya. We know what's going on in Guatemala. We've had people from our church, our minister, go to Guatemala. We know what's going on in the Amazon, where they send that boat up the Amazon to help people, not just from a missionary standpoint, from a, but from a health standpoint. These people are real, and they really and sincerely need your help. As Reverend Hasty said, we were asked by Jesus to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what we're talking about. And right now, I'd like to issue a challenge, and it's going to be harder for me than it is for you. I want you to take up your 
offering envelope, I want you, if you've made an offering, we greatly appreciate it. But please take this home with you, put it somewhere where you can see it, and accept this challenge. Between now and Easter, when you go to buy something that is not essential, if you don't give in, then just put that much money in the envelope. If you do give in to the non-essential item, then put that by the item and then put that much money in the envelope. <laughs> now this rate, when you think about we're about to get to Easter, we're excited because of the risen Lord and salvation. What did he have to go through first? He had to sacrifice. He made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Can we make a sacrifice for him and his work. Thank you. Let us now continue to worship God with the presentation of our tithes and our offerings.
Mighty God and Father, you overwhelm us with your great mercy. As you continue to work in our lives, may we respond with gratitude as we offer the substance of our souls to continue the ministry of Christ. For his name and glory we pray and present ourselves and our gifts. Amen. We are going to recognize our newest members, so I'm going to ask you to be seated, and after we have recognized our newest members, we will commence with a congregational meeting. I will, uh, at that point, give a brief benediction, and those of you who uh, need to depart, you may do so, but let's make sure we have a quorum to conduct our, our annual uh, meeting. So at this time, I would like to invite uh, Craig, Bob, Rebecca, and Joe to come forward. Come on. Y'all line up across the front here. Let me introduce you to the church. Rebecca, stand next to me. We'll do this in order. Because Craig, Boaz and Bob Cullinan joined at the stated meeting in January. Craig, by transfer of letter, he is married to Stephanie, who is an ordained PCUSA pastor who is serving in a uh, temporary supply scenario at Morningside. So she is conducting worship uh, there this morning and will be for the next few months or as long as God sees fit. They have a son, John. Uh, We welcome Craig. He's here uh, with AFLAC. 
Bob Cullinan, he's originally from Rhode Island. But he did most of his growing up here from a, from a young boy here in Columbus. You'd think he would have adopted the accent. But when you hear Bob speak and you come up here to welcome him to membership, he's still like he's in Rhode Island. But that's not a bad thing. We need that kind of diversity. Amen? We welcome Bob by reaffirmation of faith. Joe Moorhead joined at the February stated meeting. And uh, Joe also joined by uh, reaffirmation. Uh, Joe is not a stranger to us. You may recognize his face. He's been worshiping for uh, quite some time, uh, as Bob has as well. Joe is with Tesis, and uh, Joe is, may I say it? Joe's, Joe has asked Lisa Powers to marry him. And Joe just said, she said yes. <laughs> Woo! Thank you for that. <laughs> Joe joins by reaffirmation of faith. And Rebecca Chenis, she is also uh, one who's been worshiping with us for, for quite some time. Um, her husband's in the military. They have three daughters. And um, tell me your oldest daughter. Audrey, I knew it was Audrey, and I was going to say Audrey. Now I can't remember the others. Savannah. And Rory, okay? She has three daughters. They're in children's church right now. And we welcome Rebecca by reaffirmation of faith. So as you have been received by the session of the church, uh, we celebrate your membership with the total membership of the church. And I have two questions to ask of you. What is the 17th book of the Bible and who wrote it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> who is your Lord and Savior? And do you promise with God's help to be a faithful member of this family of faith through your time, your talents, and your treasures? Do you? Welcome into membership of First Presbyterian. Uh, following the, the annual report or on another Sunday, please extend the right hand of fellowship to these good folks. Let us pray. Father God, we do celebrate the way your spirit is at work in our midst and in, in our lives and the way that your spirit has led these four of your children to join with this particular piece of your family of faith. We welcome them with open arms and all of their gifts, skills, and talents, and we pray that we would, uh, we would now join on that common journey of following your Son to do uh, your work in the world for your glory, for the good of your people. We pray in his name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. For those of you who need to depart, uh, go with our blessing and go in the peace of the Lord to uh, love and serve the Lord. Uh, some of you have signed up for the Young at Heart lunch and that food it will be hot and waiting for you. So just uh, hang with us for the, for the uh, congregational meeting and that, that lunch awaits. If you're 70 or older, uh, you may, you may join that number because I bet they threw an extra potato in the soup. Okay? Uh, we'll begin our meeting. I'd like to uh, begin by electing a, a clerk for this meeting. It would be appropriate to hear a motion to appoint our clerk of session for that capacity, Jimmy Moy. Do I hear a motion? Any other nominations to come for clerk? Do I hear a, a motion then that the nominations be closed? All in favor of closing the nomination and uh, electing Jimmy Moore's clerk signify by saying aye. aye. 
And opposed, a like sign. And that motion carries. Mr. Clerk, is there a quorum present? There is a quorum present. Let us pray. Loving God, you do give us work to do as your people. And uh, sometimes that involves meetings and reports and the like. And uh, we pray that as, as this body meets uh, in, in that fashion today, that you would bless everything that we do and make us a stronger uh, community to do your work and your will in the world. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Uh, first order of business on our agenda is to elect officer nominating committee, and I need to call on Elder Cecil Whitaker, who will come up and uh, present that slate that we might elect him today. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here and represent the Evaluation and Planning Ministry. Uh, there are nine members of our Church Officer Nominating Committee that are selected in the following fashion. The two members of the session were selected by the session, and they are Bill Hardegree and Mint Flowers. There are two members of the diaconate who as well were selected by that body, and they are Dr. John Van Dorn and Jack Wright. It was the charge of the Evaluation and Planning Ministry to select five people at large from the congregation in the following categories. Two males, two females, and one member of the congregation under age 35. We present to you the following. Hugh Kennedy, Billy Turner, Alice Bryan, Judy Nail, and under 35, Kalia Trotter. Mr. Moderator, these, these names, these people have been contacted, have expressed their willingness to serve, have been presented to the session and passed by that body, presented to the congregation at this time. So those names have been moved. Is there a second? And are there other names to be placed in nomination? Motion has been made to close the nominations, and with that action, we will elect those five individuals that uh, Dr. Whitaker has, uh, has those names that he has shared with you. All in favor of closing the nominations uh, and electing these five people to that officer nominee committee signify by saying aye. aye. And opposed. And that motion carries. Thank you very much. A wonderful slate with important work to do. Uh, Mr. Clerk, I would ask for you to come forward and conduct another piece of business for us. Paragraph G 2.0804 of the Book of Order provides that the session shall annually review the minister's terms of call and propose to the congregation action on such changes as the session deems appropriate. The session has reviewed the compensation of our pastors as well as the compensation of all of our staff and the session is recommending for pastors as well as the rest of the team an across the board increase of 1.5 percent in the compensation package and on behalf of the session i propose that to the congregation for approval is there a second for that motion in the change in terms of call there's a second. 
any discussion. Are you ready to vote? All in favor of this action of changing the terms of call by the described percentage signify by saying aye. aye. And opposed? And that motion carries. We now uh, want to call forward Elder Chad Cottrell. And if the ushers at this point in time would uh, please, we should have done this just a moment ago, but we have annual reports to hand out, and they're back at the TV room. So if I could get a couple of folks to grab those annual reports, you will probably want to uh, refer to those as Chad goes through his, his, uh, his remarks here. Thank you, Chuck. Just to give you all a minute while the ushers get those out, first I uh, just want to thank you and tell you uh, how uh, honored and what a privilege it is to serve uh, this congregation uh, on our stewardship and finance ministry. I uh, just want to recognize uh, a few folks on the staff, Suzanne and her crew, for uh, their diligence in managing our budget last year, and also a couple of uh, our entire stewardship and finance ministry, but in particular, Tom Carlisle and Carrie McCoy uh, for their tireless efforts in putting together a budget uh, for 2012 and also for 2013. Um, just uh, before we get into the details, just as a highlight uh, while these are being passed around, uh, our uh, year-end numbers for last year, our total revenue was $1,856,000, which exceeded our budgeted income uh, number by $225,000. Uh, in addition, our expenses uh, for last year were $8,600 under uh, the final session approved budget for 2012. So the net result was, was that we had a, uh, a net operating income for the year of $234,515. Um, the session uh, approved the use of those funds in the following manner. A uh, uh, portion of those funds, $36,000. Uh, $891 was used to fund the balance of the money needed to replace all of the uh, TV equipment in here. Um, that total cost was right around $90,000, and so a portion of those uh, uh, proceeds from 2012 were used to finish out that funding. Uh, the rest of that, uh, approximately $98,000 was used to go into the operating budget for 2013, and then the other 98000 was used to put into just an operating reserve, uh, which will um, be used going forward uh, at really at the session's discretion, but really a set aside for debt reduction or for other emergency needs uh, that the church may encounter. Um, going into our 2013 budget, thank you uh, just for the, uh, for the support of the congregation. I'm pleased to announce that we were able to fully fund all of the ministry requests for 2013, um, which is, there's a breakdown in your package that shows how those are, but our total budgeted revenue, uh, and this budget was approved by the session actually back in December, uh, but our total revenue for 2013 is $1,780,000, and uh, you'll see that our total expenses or $1,780,000 too, which leads us to a balanced budget and does include the 1.5% uh, salary increase that uh, Jimmy referenced for the staff earlier. Um, just as kind of an overview for where we are on the balance of our 
uh, called by the Spirit Campaign. In March 2012, we had a balance on our SunTrust line of $450,000, 819. Uh, our current balance, uh, as the loan stands for renewal, is $275,000. So uh, through a recapture of some pledges uh, that were outstanding and also for, um, from, a, um, from a gift that we received that was not part of the original pledge, we've been able to reduce uh, our outstanding debt with SunTrust by approximately 35% over the past 12 months. So uh, part of uh, what we're here to do today is actually get con uh, congregational approval to renew our credit facility with SunTrust. We have, um, we've asked them to look at our interest rate and also our maturity, and we've requested a two-year term rather than a one-year term, uh, which they have agreed to do. And uh, the loan facility uh, will be capped at the outstanding balance, which is $275,915. Okay. Is there a second to uh, accomplish that action of uh, renewing the line of credit for that. Okay, any discussion? Two years, SunTrust, $275,000 cap on that, that debt. Okay, all in favor of taking that action and entering that agreement with the bank, please signify by saying aye. And opposed, and that motion carries. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to open the floor at this time for any questions that anyone may have uh, regarding the 2012 numbers or the 2013 uh, budget. Okay. All right. Being no questions, thank you again, and uh, thank you for all your support uh, and your giving this year and helping us reach our goals. I want to say a, a a word of thanks to all the officers in the ways that, that uh, they conduct the business of the church. You've seen the gentlemen that have been before you today. You know there are other men and women who serve in that capacity, and, and uh, you can trust that you are served well with wise and faithful, dedicated, uh, uh, sacrificial servants, and they, uh, they are tending their uh, duties well. I also want to express a word of gratitude to you. I hope you heard what Chad shared with us today, which is absolutely unheard of in these days and times, that our church at the end of 2012 had a surplus of some $235,000 revenues over our expenses. That is due to your generosity. That is due to, to your uh, gracious and, and sacrificial giving. And we are so blessed in that regard. And because of much of that faithfulness and extravagant giving that, that you have accomplished, you heard Chad also say that we fully met the needs that the ministries put out there to do, to do the work that they are called to do in 2013. Again, for a church in these days and times, unheard of. And we are so blessed. And so I, I want to say thank you to all of you. And thanks be to God. Who is, uh, who is sharing those blessings with us. Uh, and then the last thing that, that I will say is, uh, well, actually two more things. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that, that debt on the Call by the Spirit campaign. Let's not forget what all was accomplished in, in that undertaking and the total price tag when it was all said and done of eight-plus million dollars and that we sit here today with only $275 of, of debt remaining 
to be debt-free as a church. Again, an incredible blessing of God. And, and all thanks and praise to God and, and gratitude to you for the ways that you are um, following the call of Christ in, in all aspects of your living and your giving. And now the last thing that I want to say before we close with prayer is uh, we have an anniversary to celebrate. Jones Doughton, would you stand? It's just a, about a week ago, we hit the 13th anniversary of Jones's ministry at First Presbyterian. Can you believe it? He has gotten so much younger since Mary Lee came along. <laughs> he was aging there for a while, but now he's, he's found the, the fountain of youth. And uh, we give thanks to God for the ministry of Joan Stoughton, of Mary Lee, and Bennett, and Mary Claire in our midst. We are blessed to have such a dedicated, faithful servant and family uh, the untold ways and behind-the-scenes ways and up-front ways that they serve us, we indeed are blessed. So let's stand as grateful people and let us uh, close with prayer. Loving God, You have told us by Your Word that when we drink of You, we will never be thirsty again. And we know that life-giving, quenching spirit there's nothing that we want or need. But your blessings do not stop there, for you also tell us that that water that you give to us becomes within us a spring of life, a fountain that never fails or stops flowing. And we sense that blessing and praise you for it. And we want we want in our own lives to become more and more of those freed, forgiven, empowered people to be fountains of love and grace to the world through our giving and through our living. Bless us in this new year in that way. As we give you all the thanks and praise and look to the head of the church, Jesus Christ, as our friend and our Savior, and let all God's children say, Amen. Go in peace, love and serve the Lord.